From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. We're, we're not just making a difference in their lives at work. We're making a difference in their lives at home. And that balance is, is truly what is necessary in order to prevent burnout and to lessen um, the demand. That's Tara Spann on the success of her medical group's implementation of an integrated care delivery model. We'll hear more from Tara on using lean methodologies to improve physician satisfaction and patient throughput. But first, a word from our sponsors. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket cost the CareCredit Health, Wellness, and Personal Care Credit Card gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures at locations in the CareCredit network. Payment flexibility is increasingly important as patients may face economic and health concerns in light of the coronavirus pandemic. With promotional financing for purchases of $200 or more, cardholders can move forward with the care they need and want today and make monthly payments over time. For healthcare providers navigating financial and operational challenges resulting from the pandemic, Care Credit can help reduce time and effort devoted to billing and collections while increasing patient satisfaction. Accepting Care Credit as a payment option is easy and quick, and you receive payment within two business days. Care Credit currently has over 11 million cardholders and is accepted in more than 240,000 locations nationwide. Learn more about how CareCredit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. Are you looking to simplify your uniform program? Scrub in Uniforms is a national healthcare uniform company that is partnered with MGMA to offer members a customized program full of tremendous benefits. Scrub-In strives to make uniform ordering as simple as possible for all organizations, large or small. With features like custom ordering portals, a voucher program, painless return policies, and unmatched customer service, Scrub-In makes ordering new uniforms the easiest task on your to-do list and at pricing that's easy on your budget. Learn more and contact them today at mgma.scrubin.com to experience the scrub-in difference. More hours at work often results in less time for family or fulfilling activities, a realization known all too well by physicians and other healthcare professionals. This level of dedication is certainly commendable, but it generally comes at a steep cost. A 2019 Medscape survey found that more than 40% of physicians reported signs of burnout, and a separate study pegs the profession's annual turnover rate at a dismal 14%. There are solutions to significantly curb these industry-wide issues, however, and Tara Spann is here this week to share some strategies that have worked for her organization. Tara is the Administrative Director of Medical Subspecialties in Clinical Transformation for Bon Secours Medical Group in Greenville, South Carolina. She's set to be a featured speaker at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Conference, October 18th through 21st, 
presenting a session on integrated care teams, a lean model to reduce burden and optimize throughput. Tara, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Now, first of all, uh, what has your life been like since uh, the COVID-19 crisis began? Life has definitely been interesting over the past few months. Um, I think we all recognize that these are unprecedented times, something that we have not experienced in our lifetime and um, has caused us to think uh, very creatively and rapidly um, to be able to continue to provide care for our patients in a very different, different world and different setting. My role is um, in operations within the medical group. And so uh, I was part of the team that remained uh, on site and, and helped navigate through uh, all, the, all the issues that came up and, and, and uh, setting up our, our new platforms, our new virtual platforms. Yeah, I want to talk about your medical group then for just a moment. Uh, tell us about the size and scope of that. I know offline we were talking about that, that you are responsible for the entire group, not just an individual practice. Sure. So our, our medical group is uh, consisted of around 60 practices. We have about 300 uh, providers, physicians, and advanced practice clinicians. Uh, we're spread throughout the county, uh, throughout Greenville County. And um, we, we have about 65% specialty and about 35% primary care. My role is actually um, the operational oversight for our primary care division. So personally, I oversee 26 locations, about 100 providers, and right at 600 uh, support personnel. Wow, okay, okay. Well, thanks for giving us that information. And I know that you and I had spoken last week. We wanted to get you on the show then. And uh, you said it probably wouldn't be a good time because you were in the middle of reopening. Um, I just want to know now you've, you've had kind of a week to kind of sift through that and, and, and put that work into it. So what has that transition been like to the new normal? So when we, when we initially shut operations down, we went from, like I said, around 60 locations to 10 consolidated care clinics um, and shifted almost 90% of our operations to virtual platforms, which did not exist in our medical group before that. So taking it down was very challenging, trying to get providers used to um, a virtual platform and, and helping through all the technological issues that surfaced throughout that. We thought that was gonna be difficult. Uh, however, interestingly enough, it was a little more challenging, I think, standing us back up uh, to be able to accommodate face-to-face -face visits. Uh, we opened all of our locations uh, officially on uh, this past Monday, and uh, we have various ramp-ups depending on uh, the need for face-to-face -face visits. So some locations are seeing 50-60% of their historic face-to-face -face volumes, and other locations are seeing, uh, you know, minimal, uh, minimal patients. Uh, what has been interesting, though, is that even when we did stand our practices back up and, and open the doors for face-to-face -face visits, a lot of our providers who initially were not so receptive towards uh, our virtual visit platform have uh, maintained a considerable volume uh, virtually um, and uh, have been very creative as far as uh, finding ways that they can incorporate into that, that into their practice going forward. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about that then. What are some of those creative ways? What are they doing that's finding some traction? Because I know that our, our listeners are practice administrators and they want to 
uh, get some best practices and figure out what's working out there? Yeah, sure. Um, I think the, the biggest uh, pull for them is the fact that their patients love it. I mean, it's so convenient. Um, you know, patients can step out of work for 15 minutes for a virtual visit rather than having to take a half day off and drive to uh, an office location. Uh, patients aren't waiting for their providers. The providers actually start the visit when they're ready. So there's no sitting around in a, in a waiting room uh, waiting to be called back. Um, and also, I think they've, they've found that there's a lot more that they can care for virtually um, than they originally anticipated. Uh, one of the big things that, that we're seeing that we think will continue are all of the follow-up vis visits for medication um, changes or um, just, you know, follow-ups to, a, to a, a problem visit to, to make sure that the patients are, are responding the way that we expect them to and, um, and that everything is, is going well. So uh, a lot of our face-to-face -face visits are, are still being captured virtually. Oh, that's, that's, that's interesting. Okay. And you had mentioned that some practices are seeing a certain amount of ramp up, other ones uh, not quite to that level. Do, have you been able to dissect why? Is it because of specialties? Is it because of certain needs, areas of town? What, what do you attribute more volume in some places than in others? So I think it's a little bit of both. Um, obviously, specialties like oncology, cardiology, uh, surgery have to see patients in person. Um, very few of their visits can, can be performed virtually. So those, those practices saw a pretty significant volume uh, as part of the consolidated care clinics. Uh, and they're, they're starting to bring other patients back in that have to be seen face to face. Um, as far as primary care is concerned, I think geography definitely uh, mandates as to you know the volume of patients that require face-to-face -face visits versus virtual visits. Uh, some of our more um, rural areas that do not necessarily have access to uh, sound Wi-Fi and, and may not have uh, resource, te the technologic resources necessary for virtual visits are seeing more face-to-face -face visits. Mm -hmm. Additionally, our practices that have an elderly population um, that were not easily able to um, manage the technology, uh, we're seeing those, those practices are having more face-to-face -face volume as well. Right, right. Okay, well, so you worked through a slew of reopenings last week. Um, now that they're up and running, where, where do you see the biggest challenges uh, moving forward? Where do you think those pain points will be and what are you doing to address those? I think the biggest challenge is just continuing to maintain the social distancing and infection control pr practices um, as we begin to see face-to-face. -face. Uh, you know, we've, we've, a lot of practices are, are registering patients in the parking lot. Um, we're skipping waiting rooms and taking them directly into exam rooms to be able to separate them. And that's been manageable so far this week. And again, you know, we're, we're still in a ramp up period. I think that's going to become increasingly challenging as we uh, begin to add more and more face-to-face -face visits, um, as long as you know, these requirements uh, are still in place and, and COVID is still a concern. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I wanted to switch gears now because you recently wrote an article for MGMA. It's titled, Integrated Care Teams 
a lean model to reduce burden and optimize throughput. Uh, in that article, you write that physician burnout, staff turnover, and disjointed throughput are common factors affecting care access and quality in today's healthcare settings. I want to touch on each one of those factors, um, but I want to start with burnout first. What did your research tell you? What did you find out when you were digging into uh, burnout? Yeah, so um, prior to uh, beginning this work, I was not aware of the magnitude of, of burnout within the, the medical field, especially for our physicians. Uh, so uh, Medscape performed the, an annual National Physician Burnout and Depression Report, and the 2019 report was based on about 15,000 physicians' uh, responses, um, and it showed that over 40% of our physicians are reporting signs of burnout. Um, what we're seeing as causes to burnout are just the increasing demands on our physicians that require more and more documentation, more and more hours of what we refer to as out-of-cycle work, which is work that's not directly face-to-face -face with a patient. Um, and because of that, uh, in order for our providers to maintain the levels of productivity that they desire and meet the, the needs and, and demands for access in our region, um, a lot of providers are taking their work home. Uh, we see, we have the ability to, to run reports and see that the amount of time and the hours that providers are actually in the computer. And there are some physicians that, uh, you know, chart throughout the day, they go home, you can see maybe an hour blip for uh, dinner, and then they're right back on the computer, some going up until midnight, and then starting back up again at 4 a.m. Um, that's just not sustainable. No, no, and it's, it is, it, it's, we've seen it exacerbated um, through the news and, and through anecdotal information during the COVID-19 crisis. Um, We've also seen some heartbreaking stories out of COVID-19 with physicians committing suicide um, due to this just intense stress that's being put on them. I, I, I wanna talk to you about that, about how to address it. Um, as you are ramping back up, is your team putting in policies or did you have policies already in place to address burnout and to provide basically a support system for those physicians and for staff? Uh, yeah, we actually had those resources in place prior to get COVID. Uh, I'm sure they've pro they're probably being utilized more so now than, than before, but our, uh, our parent organization, Bon Secours Mercy Health, actually has a, uh, a team dedicated to provider wellness and well-being. Um, there are resources uh, for our providers and our staff um, to help with all aspects of life and, and management of life. Um, we have a, uh, a robust uh, behavioral health um, program with a very engaged uh, system director uh, that works with us closely if, if we see signs of burnout with, with any of our physicians. We are being very careful as we uh, are ramping back up to make sure that we're allowing time uh, for providers to perform the additional responsibilities that are, that are required uh, as part of COVID um, and just to make sure that we're not inundating them. Yeah. Um as you write in your article, you, you write about that uh, burnout also has an impact on turnover. I mean, when I think about that, that does make sense, but I really wanna kind of dig deeper into that and figure out why. W where do you see those kind of pieces fitting together and causing more turnover? 
So <clears throat> turnover is a is a, a really really big problem uh, throughout uh, all aspects of healthcare. Um, our physicians are we're looking at about a 14% turnover rate, and um, you know upwards of 18 to 20% of our other personnel um, are turning over. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do again with just the increasing demands that are that are placed on organizations. Um, and on personnel within those organizations. Uh, what we see consistently uh, across um, all of our practice practices is that uh, there's a there's a large amount of waste built into processes. And by waste, I mean things that are maybe uh, repetitive, that um, you know are performed multiple times by multiple personnel. Um, waste with uh, you know not having the resources or the supplies. Uh, readily available to to assist during the day, um, and uh, just waiting, uh, you know, waiting for our patients, waiting for the person that's ahead of us to complete their job so we can complete ours. And so, the all of all of the demand that's placed on on our personnel, and then um, the inefficiencies that have just kind of innately formed in healthcare um, have put significant stress and strain on on all of our all of our employees. Yeah. Um, what are you doing then? I know that you look at uh, processes, processes uh, through lean models are very important to you. When you're, when you've put those in place, what are you doing then to measure them to make sure that you're retaining your best employees? So <clears throat> turnover is actually one of our key performance indicators for 2020. So we will be focused on that. Um, as an entire ministry and organization uh, throughout this year, and then I'm sure uh, into the next year as well. Uh, so we do look at that from a system level. Uh, we also look at it individually from a practice level. If we see a, uh, a significant spike in turnover, or if we see practices that are have a higher incidence of turnover than others, then we uh, intervene. We work with the practice managers and the um, the providers and the personnel there to try to dig into that and determine exactly what's causing that and um, and be able to assist in any way that we can to reduce the burden on those practices and on those employees. Uh, a lot of times education, um, mentorship and support uh, are also uh, important components and successful with that. Okay, okay. Now, I've, I found something really interesting in that you actually turn the lens on your organization, Bon Secure Medical Group, in your recent article. You really go into detail. You say that the group experienced single-digit physician satisfaction scores, low patient satisfaction scores, and those were among other low marks when you guys were going back and really assessing what happened. What are you doing right? Where do you need to find improvement? And I think that the interesting thing is you guys did do something about it. You developed what you call an integrated care team. And I want to talk to you about that. Um, what did you find when you were going through and assessing and measuring the group? Where did you find weak points? Where did you find some things that you could improve upon? Um, how did you how did you go about establishing this integrated care team? What were the steps and what were the decisions that were made there? Sure. So um, we actually had uh, several working sessions. Uh, we had a five day uh, value stream mapping session, which is 
essentially you go into a practice and you chart the path of the patient from the time of their referral into, until the time, uh, the end of their first visit. And you look at every aspect of that process um, and you measure timing and you measure wait, wait times and you, you identify areas that are not flowing efficiently and you identify the, the workload burden on each of the um, each of the care the care team members and by care team I mean you know your your front office personnel uh, that are performing your check-in uh, your medical assistants that are rooming patients uh, your physicians and, and uh, advanced practice clinicians that are actually seeing patients <clears throat> all of their documentation and out-of-cycle work time and then uh, again the, the medical assistants or the personnel for, for scheduling and checkout and so we look at every component um, of those roles and uh, measure out where our opportunities lie. And that is, that's done in conjunction with um, a, full, uh, a full support of the clinic itself. So during our value stream session, we had uh, a physician uh, participate and we had uh, an advanced practice clinician participate in addition to representatives from the front end. Uh, staff and the medical assistant staff <clears throat> and and all of the all of the steps in between so uh, it's really interesting when you do that especially for the people who are actually live in that clinic where they begin to see how a lot of the the stress and the strain and the demand they're actually placing on themselves because of of inefficiencies in their their processes mm -hmm. and then after that that initial value stream is, is complete um, we look at where do we want to be what do we want this to look like on the other side uh, and then we actually map out a future state, and um, and once that future state state is identified, and, and we look at our you know, starting metrics and 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 where we want to go with our metrics, then we work with the team again to uh, determine what things we can put in place and what test of change we can initiate in order to uh, help us reach that that future state. Mm -hmm. And so uh, during the flow cell work or, or the integrated care team work, <clears throat> the um, the personnel from our from our first value stream actually uh, decided that uh, it would make much more sense uh, for all of the work <clears throat> and all of the persons performing the work to come to the patient rather than sending the patient through uh, multiple different channels and, and multiple different uh, stopping points. And so patients um, went from coming in and being checked in and sitting in a waiting room and then uh, being called back and, and worked up and then sitting in an exam room <clears throat> and just all these periods of waiting to checking in, <clears throat> excuse me, checking in, uh, being placed directly into the exam room and then all of the care going to them. So the front office person going in to check them in, to verify their insurance, collect you know, their co-pays, medical assistant uh, following up with that uh, to begin the ringing process, uh, the providers coming in right after that um, to uh, perform the actual visit and then also scheduling and checkout in the room. And it, it sounds simple. It, it doesn't sound like it's that significant of a change, but um, you know, we've seen uh, pretty, pretty great results from that uh, by, by taking that care to the patient. One of the other big components of the integrated care team is the fact that when we started digging into it, we saw that our physicians and our providers were actually carrying the burden of the work. And a lot of the work that they were doing wasn't necessarily, didn't, did not need to be performed by a physician or an advanced uh, care practitioner. So uh, as part of this work, we, we 
do an exercise called level loading. And we look at the demands on each of, the, each of those persons within that integrated care team. And then we look at what responsibilities can be offloaded from the physician to uh, some of the support personnel. Um, things including, uh, you know, initiating notes, um, <clears throat> as far as setting them up and, you know, entering vital signs um, and, and prepping for the physician, uh, you know, researching uh, the patients in advance to make sure that all of the test results are, are there and available uh, for the provider when they come in the room. Um, and that also was a, was a significant component of um, reducing that stress and demand on our providers. Mm -hmm. One of the things uh, that's interesting here is you, you had mentioned it earlier, you described the size and the scope of this group, pretty expansive there. How did you, get the buy-in? How did you get everybody on the same page then um, as each one of these practices starts implementing uh, these changes here? How did you go about doing that? So it's really important to, to start with uh, people who um, want change, uh, who are willing to change the way that they practice, and um, that are really engaged. Uh, great to have uh, that as your kind of preliminary providers. Um, and then once the work is, is stood up in, for one provider, it, very quickly their peers see, hey, something's going on, something is going on over there and it looks like something good. You know, my, my peer is leaving at 5.30 every day. My peer is not on the computer all hours of the day. You know, what are you doing? What makes it uh, what are they doing differently and how are they able to achieve that? And so once we set it up in, in kind of a small test cell, as we call it, mm -hmm. um, then very, very quickly the other providers in that group will start to pull and, uh, and, and it just kind of spreads itself across the practices. And then once other practices hear about the work and hear about the accomplishments, then they start to pull that information as well and they, they start to pull. So it, it is self-perpetuating almost. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Earlier, you had just mentioned that you have been measuring this. You've gotten some great results. Again, what are what are some of the key KPIs that um, practices should be looking at then if they're going to uh, develop these integrated care programs like this? Yeah, so um, we've, we've implemented these in, in uh, specialty offices and also in primary care offices. And surprisingly, the, the metrics are pretty similar uh, across the board. Um, we're looking at the total time the patients are spending in the office um, and how much of that time is, is actually spent waiting. Um, we're looking at the time that the patient spent face-to-face -face with their provider and want to make sure that, you know, as we work through this, that we don't, we don't impact that negatively. Uh, we feel like the face-to-face the -face time with the provider is the most value-added aspect of the entire visit, so we want to make sure that we maintain that. Um, we look at provider documentation time, um, whether or not providers are able to uh, complete their work at work, um, and then we look at job satisfaction uh, for the entire team, uh, and we actually have a, a mood meter that, that they track throughout the process so they can gauge you know, how the team is adapting and how the team is changing um, and, and managing the change. Uh, and then finally, um, we, uh, of course, um, ask about patient satisfaction, and we measure that through um, our press gaming results, uh, but also uh, during the time of implementation, the first 90 days, we actually um, typically survey patients as they're coming through, 
uh, we ask them about the new processes and, and ask them if, you know, if they are uh, supportive of them or if they, if they preferred the previous, uh, the previous names. Um, and surprisingly, and not surprisingly actually, uh, you know, it's been very well received by patients because they are seeing a lot less waiting. They're seeing a lot less um, time spent at the office and, and their, their providers are running more on time than before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, time uh, is a recurring theme in this conversation. It's it's very closely related to burnout, as you were talking about, all that uh, work being taken home. Um, have there been any specific success stories where you've you've talked with, communicated with a provider who has been able to kind of shift some things to find more balance there? Is there anything in there that you could share with us today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we see that consistently uh, wherever this work is, is uh, stood up and then um, really uh, implemented and, and the team engages. Um, almost all of our uh, physicians that establish uh, this integrated care delivery model are completing their work at work. Like I said before, um, you know, we would see uh, providers on the computer at home uh, all hours of the night um, and consistently uh, that has stopped almost immediately, <clears throat> probably within the first couple of weeks. Um, the, the really heartwarming uh, aspect of this work and, and the work, the reason that I, that I feel so um, passionate about it is we actually hear stories from the providers um, that their families notice the difference. And, you know, their children are asking them, why aren't you bringing your computer home anymore? <clears throat> or their children are asking them, um, why, why can you spend pajama time with us now when you could not before? So we're, we're not just making a difference in their lives at work. We're making a difference in their lives at home. And that balance is, is truly what is necessary in order to prevent burnout and to lessen um, the demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been talking about you studying the data, the benchmarking. Have there been any of the results that have surprised you? I mean, is anything, everything just lined up the way you thought it would, or has there been anything as you've gone through all the numbers and the data that went, wow, I, I didn't expect that? I mean, not really. Uh, I think that what surprised me more so than anything was just how quickly we saw change and how quickly we saw improvement in the metrics that we were tracking um, and how just small changes in the way that you work and the way that you practice can make such significant results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation and I'm just wondering if you have any final thoughts in that you'd like to share about integrated care teams that basically that our listeners can adopt in their own practices. Yeah, um, absolutely. The, again, the, the most critical component to this is finding a team that wants to change and that's willing to change. Uh, despite all the success that we've seen uh, within our, our clinics, we've also seen some failures. Um, and that was largely due to teams that were just very much uh, set and, um, and, and uh, wanted to continue to perform the work that they have always performed the work, uh, even though that has not worked for them in the past. And so that's one of the, the key components is, is really getting a team that's engaged and, and, and willing to change. And then the next biggest um, requirement, I think, is just ongoing support. Um, your practice managers you know, serving as cheerleaders and champions for that. 
um, really talking the work up and, and making sure that you continue to be committed to that model and not uh, disassembling that model every time you have a call in or, or um, something changes, but really, really committing to maintain that, uh, that K regime despite whatever comes up. Yeah, well, thank, uh, Tara, thanks so much for sharing these thoughts with us today and continue good luck as you uh, open up and ramp up uh, all those practices there that you're watching over. Great, thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Care Credit and Scrubbing Uniforms for sponsoring this week's show. To learn more about how Care Credit is helping providers deliver a better patient financial experience, visit carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. To streamline your uniform program and experience the scrub-in difference, visit mgma.scrubin.com. Also, thanks to our guest, Tara Spann. You can hear her speak at MGMA's Medical Practice Excellence Conference, October 18th through 21st. For more information or to register, visit mgma.com slash MPEC. You can also read Tara's MGMA Insights article on today's topic at bit.ly slash integrated care teams. To keep up with the latest regarding the pandemic, be sure to visit mgma.com slash COVID. You can also connect with fellow members and healthcare peers at community.mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.